welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zeraris. I hope everybody got a chance to check out yesterday's show featuring Jess Belmosto, the host of the Locked on Flames podcast. Talked a little bit about why the Flames are poised to have a nice second half, why you shouldn't be so concerned by the team's record in the first half. They have so many games to make up. They have really strong underlying numbers. They probably have one move to make at the trade deadline. They are a team with a lot of potential, and if that potential is realized, it could dramatically alter what the team decides to do this offseason and next offseason. It's a really good conversation. Whenever I get a guest on, especially someone like Jess, who's a real treat to have on, it always makes the show a little bit better. Today, no different. We have another guest, somebody else from the wonderful world of hockey Twitter, to come unpack a little bit about a team that's Harder to understand if you're not intimately involved with it, watching it on a day-to-day basis in the Arizona Coyotes, but before I get to the conversation with Cameron, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. So, number one, you should be subscribed to the show on whatever podcasting platform you like to use, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, this show is available there. Number two, if you are subscribed... If you are using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please review for the show. Apple Podcasts, it's really easy. You just go to the show's page. You scroll past the most recent handful of episodes. There's going to be five clear purple stars. You hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Please, please, please write a few words. Support your content creators. All the reviews you leave your your favorite podcasts help them out a lot doesn't take a lot of time and it helps out content creators immensely don't just do that for this show do that for any podcast you enjoy so when you're thinking about the arizona coyotes you're probably thinking about their arena problems the mitchell miller situation where they drafted him even though he had abused a fellow classmate in his high school who had a learning disability They lost a first and second round pick in a draft because they tested players when they weren't supposed to be physically testing them. They currently expected to be playing in a college arena for the following two or three seasons because the city of Glendale has thrown them out of the arena they are currently playing in. You're not really thinking a lot about hockey, and when you do think about hockey, you're probably thinking about Louis Erickson or Anton Strawman or any number of the Island of Misfit Toys players they have. But that's not entirely fair to that team. They've got a few guys like Jacob Chikrin, like Clayton Keller, who we're both going to we're gonna talk about a lot in this conversation. Those are two really good players in the league who are under the radar and building blocks if Bill Armstrong, their general manager, chooses them to be building blocks. So there's a lot of talk about the things around hockey there's a considerable amount of nhl all-star weekend discourse because cameron and i both had thoughts to get off so there was that and there's a lot of discourse about where the coyotes are physically going from here as well as where they go from a roster perspective from here so this was an illuminating conversation for me i hope you guys enjoy it too And with that, I welcome on the one resident Coyotes fan I know, 
How are we doing, Cameron? I'm great. Ten out of ten. Are you excited for the second half of the Coyote season? I don't think so. <laughs> okay, continue. The first half was so rough. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I hope. Like, I don't know. They're playing fun hockey, although they're losing a lot. So mm-hmm. I'm in between on how I feel about it. Okay, so naturally, the obvious starting point is, how did you settle on the Coyotes? One second, someone's knocking at my door. Go. It's fine. Anyways. So, naturally, the first question I have to ask is, how did you pick the Coyotes? Okay, it's a long story. It's great. I don't know how much time you have, but it's a long one. So the floor is yours. The condensed version. Okay. So I, if it's not obvious enough already, if you don't follow me on Twitter, I love Clayton Keller. Just straight out of the bat. I love that guy. So I've been watching him play. I don't know how long it's been now, probably since NTDP when he played there, like with US. And then I think it's been that long. And then he played at Boston after he got drafted. So something, I think it was like when he, right when he got drafted, when I found out he was going to the Coyotes, I was like, it's inevitable at this point. So I may as well. And then when they were playing Colorado in the bubble, I also, I was like kind of into them, but like not fully watching them yet. Cause like that was only 29, that was what, 2020 Clayton's fourth season, I think. Something like that. So I wasn't really that invested in them yet. He's on his sixth, so it'd yeah. be his either it'd be his fourth season then. But so yeah, like you... I saw him playing then too. So was this uh, a concerted like I just enjoy the national development team program, and then he kind of was on the team, and it went from there, or is this just a I was watching hockey and this person jumped in? And it's like okay, I'm in on this person now. Um, kind of a little bit of both. Like I was watching U.S. hockey for a while, and then I was like, "Yeah, like." And then he came on the team, and it's just like, it's like, oh. And then he set the record or whatever for most points yeah. that year. He surpassed Phil Kessel, and I think Jack Hughes has it now still. Yeah. So I don't know, but that's what happened. It was exciting. I, I, I'm very much one of those people who I go out of my way to when somebody gets on the radar, okay, I'm going to start keeping tabs on them. And that way, if they actually turn out to be good, I can be like, yeah, I've said that guy was going to be good for a while. And I know you definitely have the benefit of the doubt now, because even though he doesn't get nearly as much recognition or attention, he is one of the more underrated and more talented players in the league. So you definitely have that going for you. Kind of. I mean, it's starting to like pace because of All-Star Weekend, which we'll get yes. to that. We, I'm not yes. going to go too far into that. But like a lot of people are like, I actually tweeted about this the other day. Everyone's like, oh, Keller's the worst player on the ice. Like the Coyotes shouldn't be sending anyone. And I'm like, he's having a breakout season again. Like yeah. He's having one of the best seasons of his career. So I have the benefit of the doubt in that kind of point, but I've also liked him for so long where the, to the point where I'm like ready to fight anyone who just tries to like completely tear him down. So 
were you psychologically and emotionally prepared to hitch your flag to the Arizona Coyotes for this hockey man? Or was that just kind of a byproduct of this? Because that's not an easy commitment to stake your flag in a team that, you know, has a history of being kind of bad and kind of a joke. What's that been like? Oh, it's, it's exciting because I actually started out as a Rangers fan. Okay, elaborate. <laughs> My Start. dad's a huge Rangers fan. Okay. So I live in a Rangers household, but I like the Flyers and the Coyotes. I kind of like the Coyotes more, but like it's up in the air. So <laughs> it's knowing I was going from like Henrik Lundqvist era Rangers to like the Coyotes are literally taking Taylor Hall and Taylor Hall wants to be on a winning team and he goes to Buffalo. I knew what I was getting into. And then I was like, this is going to cause me a lot of emotional damage, but it's okay in the end. So was this like a concerted act of rebellion of, I don't want to root for the par- the same team my dad does, or is this just kind of how the chips fell? Because it's, that is a real thing. Like what am I best- for sure. Gotcha. Because one of my best friends in high school was his dad was like the biggest Giants fan in existence, season tickets, everything. He's like, fuck you, dad. I'm an Eagles fan now. Just purely out of spite. <laughs> like, that's my a very real a thing. Fan. Oh. Okay. No, I mean, I like the Rangers still. I have a really big respect for them. Any And like all their fans, I follow a bunch of them on Twitter. They're all very nice people. I love everyone I follow. They're great. But like, I don't know. And I still wear like the shirts and like the jerseys. I have some. At the time, how long ago is that now? Because I don't know how long ago he got traded. At the time, I really liked them, was like really interested in them. I would watch the games with my dad and secretly, he doesn't want to admit it, I'm my dad's favorite kid. So it still kind of works. But I used to love Brady Shea. Like he was my guy. I loved Brady Shea. And like everyone was like, that guy sucks. And I'm, ba- I'm back in the same position. I'm putting myself in that position. But it's like, I don't know. I have his jersey, like his Rangers jersey still. It's hanging up in my closet right now. So embarrassing, but it happened. I have two. It's okay. We we all bought the Brady Shea hype. That first playoff series against Pittsburgh, the full rookie season, it was like, okay, that's the next guy. And then lost all his confidence playing on a bad team. And then they traded him away and somehow got a draft pick for him. But that's one of the interesting things I've come across in doing this is just the whole it's okay to like guys who are bad. That's part of hockey. There are 18 guys on a team. Not all of them are going to be good. And it doesn't matter if the person you like isn't that good. That's part of this. And just being so malicious about like, well, why do you like that guy? He sucks. I don't know. It's irrational. That's the whole point of being a fan. I get so much backlash this this player specifically because he's not good. Uh, I love Christian Fisher. I think he's the funniest okay. dude. Like, I love him. Like, there's so many reasons, but I, I got, we're going to touch on him too. So I know like, I can't go too far into it, but like him and Clayton were roommates for a while. There's video proof. There's so much crap. And they were like the funny, they were like, if stepbrothers were like hockey related, it, it would be them. It was, it was so funny. So I like, like I would love Fisher for a while. I still love him. I think he's great, but like, personally, I know he's bad. And I know he might not ever reach where he used to be, but I love him. He was good. He was one of the guys I was keeping tabs on because I was like, if that guy gets to the right landing spot, he might actually be pretty good. So I definitely see what you're talking about. I definitely see what you're talking about oh, in terms of reaching potential. I'm not emotionally prepared for them to trade him away this season. I have a playlist ready. Genuinely, I'm dead serious. 
It's called Fisher is a free agent. It's a great playlist. <laughs> so in terms of your attitude about the Coyotes, have you just kind of embraced the, uh, I don't even, I don't want to say nihilism because that's a little bit extreme for hockey, but just the, okay, we're going to play 82 games this year and whatever happens happens because there's no real expectation. How would you describe how you mentally prepare yourself for that? You don't. You just okay. go into it with an open mind. That's it. all you can do is be like, this is the season. We're not going to have a breakout season. And when I saw that they were signing, okay, there's a long with this one as well. But like when I saw that they were signing guys like Erickson and then they traded or they traded for Erickson and like Roussel and all that for OEL and Connor Garland, I was like, this is the worst trade we've ever made. It's like, this is it. It's like, we are really in a full rebuild. That was also the season where it was like, is Chikrin going to get traded? But Chikrin's off the trading block, so who knows? And then it was like, is Kessel going to get traded? But, like, Chikrin's still off the trading block, so, like, is Keller going to get traded? And every day it was like, Keller's getting traded, there's been talk about Clayton, they're going to trade him by the deadline, and then it's like, oh, well, no, they're going to trade Kessel by the deadline, neither of them end up going. OEL goes, Connor Garland goes, which I knew Garland was not going to stay. I was hopeful it wasn't going to happen. But the trade everyone was like Arizona just fleeced like and I was like sitting there I was like I was out I was going out to dinner that night and I was just like there's no way like that we just did that my only issue with that trade or no other way around my only like positive for that trade is we ended up getting the Dylan Ganther pick for that yes I don't know I feel like the Garland trade for OEL like when we dumped the salary that was a positive to that but then we also got the nine, I think it was the ninth, it was either the ninth or the 11th overall pick. I think it was the ninth though. And at the time we were still in that stupid like draft. I don't remember the full context. I still Oh yeah, the, the but it was like stuff, the yeah. draft conflict where they like wouldn't let us have first round picks, but they let, I don't know how that even worked, but we traded for one. So they let us pick anyways. And then we ended up getting Dylan Ganther, who's one of my favorite prospects right now. But it was just like a ridiculous, like, salary cap dump for both teams. But at the same time, like, I think OEL's contract between Erickson and Roussel might have been a little bit worse. So I don't know. Then we lost Connor Garland, who was one of the best players on the team. Although I think losing Connor Garland might have been worth it. We'll get on. I'll touch on that in a minute. Okay. I mean... You do you know the sliding doors moment that happened at the 2017 draft where the Rangers were trying to trade up to three to draft Clayton Keller, but nobody would give them th- two or three for Ryan McDonough. So instead of that, they ended up trading Stepan and Auntie Ranta for D'Angelo in the seventh overall pick. That's a sliding I doors. I do moment. know about that. Yeah, yeah. I do That's know a, about that. So there's a part of me it's that so wishes. funny though. Why? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's just, it's so funny because again, like I was raised in a Rangers household, like, and I said this to someone the other day. I was like, I bleed Rangers blue no matter what. Like, I know it. I just can't. It's inevitable. I just I know it in my heart. But like, I don't know. I think it's so funny that I made a joke to my dad maybe a few months ago now, like last year, like late last year, and I was like, what are the chances the Rangers just end up getting Clayton Keller? Plus, he played with Ryan Lindgren and Adam Fox like a while back. So it would make a little bit of sense, but I completely forgot that that ended up happening. So it's just like, 
they wanted to draft Keller and I just made like a whole big joke and now a bunch of Rangers fans are like why don't we all keep our eyes on him because if Keller goes like the Rangers are going to be right in on him and I know it the Rangers are in on everybody until they're not they're they pull cap space and assets out of their ass there was that year Stamkos was a free agent and the Rangers were like three million dollars over the cap and the Rangers still got a meeting even though they wouldn't have been able to sign him without trading two other people they'll listen on anybody they'll be active on anyone I mean they've been linked to Chikrin they've been linked to Miller they've been linked to a lot of people who are out there right now but circling back around to the Coyotes just at what point in your in your decision-making process, have you been like, was this the right decision? Or is this just always, I'm going, I'm doing this for you? Because it's not an easy thing to just knowingly tie yourself to a team that's not going to be good for an extended period of time. It's one thing if it's like, okay, one year, we got to figure it out. But this is going to be at least two years until the Coyotes are good, decent again, not even good, just borderline playoff team. I don't know. I mean, like, it's kind of hard to, like, say I prepared myself because there is no preparation for how atrocious it's been. But, like, at least I don't want to be that person and take jabs at another team's fan base because, wow, I'm in a bad one. But, like, at least I'm not a Habs fan. Like, at least I'm not going to the Stanley Cup final and then the next year I'm last in the league. Like, I don't know. I'm, there's no preparation. There will never be any preparation. I think you just kind of go into it. I said this before, but you go into it with an open mind and it's just like, you're there and it will hurt and you're going to watch your team take so many tough losses and falls and then you're going to see them win like once or twice. And then it's like back down the rabbit hole. So in this process, aside from Clayton Keller, they've had a handful of individual guys. You mentioned OEL, there's Connor Garland, there was Christian Dvorak. They've had a handful of guys who... You you saw the flashes of guys that even me on the East Coast, I'd, you know, keep tabs on them occasionally when the, they were one of the last games on at night. I'm an insomniac. I can't sleep. I'll Sure, I'll put the Coyotes on whatever. Does it get frustrating for you at some point that they don't retain those kind of middle class tier of players who are good but not elite? Or is it just kind of this is how we have to operate until we get the right mix? I'm so upset about Christian Dvorak. Literally, I'm so sad. I'm still upset about this, especially because so many Habs fans do not like him. And I'm just like, give him back. He was ours. So I, again, I should not be taking jabs at their fan base because theirs is way stronger than the Coyotes. I'm going to get ripped. (laughs) I know it already. But like, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of middle tier players on the team right now that aren't doing bad, but aren't doing great. Like, how do I word this? Shane Gossesbear, obviously coming from someone who has been to a bunch of Flyers games, likes the Flyers, has watched a bunch of them. But I'm watching Ghost on the Flyers, like he just looked at a place and he was bad. And I yes. know deep down in my heart that like the Arizona Coyotes are not going to be a good team for the next three years. I know it, like it's just not going to happen. But if they keep Shane Gossesbear going on the way he's going right now, I don't know. I feel like it could work out. So I think that we have the middle tier players and I think it's good to have that kind of level. Maybe not defensemen, but like whatever. But I don't know. They're not going to be elite. They might not ever be elite ever again if they were considered it before, but we shall see. But that's one of the guys I wanted to talk about specifically, Gosh Despair, because 
in a vacuum, that makes a ton of sense. The Coyotes have all of this cap space. They need warm bodies to play a lot of minutes, and maybe you can build his value back up and eventually remove him. That's creative thinking. That's forward thinking, not just we need to fill out the roster. It's we need to get guys who have a little bit of upside in them, and that's a sign of life, like that the people in charge have some idea that they know what they're doing, and that's good. That's progress. I mean, I love Shane Gossespierre. I loved him when he played for Philly. I thought he was a good guy. I don't know. I think Gossespierre is going to be good for the Coyotes for, like, a lengthy amount of time. Like, I don't know. It depends how long they keep Ghost because I really don't see him staying longer than three years. He's on his first-year contract. They signed him to a two-year contract, like, right after yeah. – or, like, I guess the Flyers' salary dumped on them. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, Flyers dumped Okay, so they've got, like, the last two years of Shane's contract or whatever, so this would be his first year, and then next year would be his second year, and I said to someone a few days ago, actually, I was like, why don't we keep Gosses Fair? I know what we're looking for is the young talent from Tucson and, like, everything, but I don't know. I think Gosses Fair is a good player on the team, and if we're going to get rid of Chikrin, then may as well be good to have that. So in terms of understanding where the Coyotes are at, you mentioned it in the first part of our conversation that they're just pure chaos when you watch them. I mean, that one game they played against the Rangers back in December before the Christmas break was just insane. There's just scoring chances a million ways in both directions. And it definitely makes for a chaotic viewing experience. But at the very least, I know every single time I put the Coyotes on, I'm not going to be bored. And that's better than I can say about some of the teams in the NHL. That's always fun. Everyone's like, oh, Coyotes games are so boring. Like, I don't know how no, they're not. From Washington. <laughs> That's what I say. I'm also from the East Coast. I'm from New Jersey. So a lot of people don't know that I actually stay up way later than most of the people I know that go to the games. So it's like even worse considering I spend my like late hours from it depends on what who they're playing and like where they're playing. But most of the time it's a 10, 1030 start. So I stay up late to watch Coyotes hockey, which is the most embarrassing moment I've ever admitted into in my entire life. The one game that like I could say was fun that really I'm going to get like annoying talking about it was they played Detroit and the entire game was tied 1-1 whole way through. They go to overtime. It was the Coyotes hockey fights cancer night that night and Keller scores the overtime winner. And I remember I was like, there's no way like this, game's going to be a joke. We're going to get blown out by the freaking Detroit Red Wings. Like, we're just going to lose. Like, this is it. And then that happened. And I was like, this might be one of the most fun games. Then the other one that came to mind while I was talking about that one was Seattle. We played Seattle for the first time way back. Maybe it was our first win. So it was really long ago. We were like eight, oh, and eight or something like that. <laughs> oh, eight and one, something like that. And we played Seattle, and Lawson Krause is, like, on Hattie Watch. It was just so weird. But that's what you got to take away from these kind of seasons. Like, it's I, I was talking about this with Megan the other day about the Flyers, where if 
even if your team is bad, you know, and you're you're still if you're still going to take the time to commit to watching, you got to take something away from all of that time you spent watching the team. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. And those two wins you just mentioned aren't going to be that consequential in the grand scheme of things. But that's why you invest the time for those kind of moments as a hockey fan, especially when you know there's going to be a long winding road to get back to something resembling competitiveness. That's true. I said that a few days ago too. I was like, it's funny because every time I watch the Coyotes game, I like, or like a new Coyotes game, it's like I learn something new every time I watch. Although you would think I know enough, but like, it's still impressive to see how much you can learn from the guys on that team just by like, I don't know, watching them, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. That's one of the things that, especially in hockey where the season is so long, even though, you know, you come into a season with no expectations, you still got to get through five and a half, six months, 82 games, and you're going to fill a lot of time up in those 82 games, and you're going to get takeaways about guys, and people are going to change and develop and get better or worse. And like you mentioned before when we were talking about Keller Chikrin, those guys are legitimately really good hockey players. And part of why... I think the All-Star game worked a little bit better this year than it has in recent in recent years is they made an effort to kind of say all of these guys are on the same level when they do the division alignment where I understand I kind of miss the captains picking the teams that was a little bit more entertaining as a viewer and there's a way they could do that and make it fun but at the same time just putting everybody on the same teams it elevates them having Clayton Keller on the same team as the other all-stars from that division it elevates him it puts him on equal footing that other fans who don't get to see Arizona regularly this guy is really good and putting him on the same level as other players is a way to legitimize these younger players putting Trevor Zegers and Jack Hughes in the skills contest so that everybody can see them in the same environment as some of the other more established players like Kirill Kaprizov which is weird to say about somebody who's only two years into the league but already one of the best it's important that you have those individual guys in smaller markets like Clayton Keller in Arizona and for the all-star game to work they've got to lean into the you get one guy from each team. All right, Drake Batherson, you're here from Ottawa. I know he got hurt, bad example, but you got to elevate those younger guys to help out those smaller market teams. The funny thing about the All-Star game and like everyone being like, we shouldn't be picking from each team, blah, blah, blah. Like I was sitting there and I was like, as a Coyotes fan, I have to agree with this point, but at the same time, (laughs) I have to argue that point because it's like, Should we be sending anyone? No, but should we be sending Keller? Hell yeah. And I was honestly kind of rooting for Gosses Bear. Like I thought if he were, if he were to really have like that season and go to the all-star game and like whatever, like I was really in on like rooting for him or whatever, but of course I'm going to pull for Clayton because if it's not obvious already, everyone knows I like him. So it was just kind of sitting there watching the game. And I was like, there's no way that they're putting it. I think the first line, the first game they played, the Central versus uh, the Atlantic, I guess, it was like Keller, Cairo, and uh, Debrinket or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, it was like so stupid. The line was just like weird. And I was like, they put these three out on the ice. It generated like a goal for Debrinket, a goal for Cairo, and it was like a two assist day for Keller. And then they put him on the line with, I think it was Cairo and Kaprizov. And then he ends up scoring. So I was like, you guys are all like, oh, we shouldn't be sending guys from Arizona. We shouldn't be sending guys from Ottawa, whatever, Montreal. But in my opinion, like, 
that it's bad, but you also have to see that like all these teams deserve a representative because you're not going to see that talent everywhere. Like, yeah, I don't know. No, definitely. The All-Star game is supposed to be fun. If it were serious, that'd be one thing. But this is supposed to be entertainment. No one is trying that hard. People are skating at three-quarter, half speed. It's entertainment. It's supposed to be fun. If we play, we're doing like a best-on-best, like, World Cup of Hockey type deal, okay, that's one thing. But it's important that Arizona, that Montreal, that Ottawa, that San Jose, that the less talented teams that don't have great results... It matters that you send somebody from every team to the All-Star game. I understand why people don't think we should, but it's the All-Star game. You can change the rules at any point, which the NHL has done a lot. And oh, you, that pissed me off. Don't get started on yeah. that. I'm still oh, mad about that. Please. Listen, I'm, again, I'm going to get ripped, and here it goes again. But I don't think – I get what they were trying to do when they were like, oh, we're going to send Trevor Zegras to the All-Star game. I understand. I 100% get it. But okay. you really had to change the rules to get him to go. Like, I don't know. He and he, It's not that he's not having a great season, but he shouldn't be like – I think the other guy from Detroit – I can't remember his name. I'm Cider? Fine. Yes. I think he should 100% win the Calder. I agree. Like, undoubtedly. But everyone's like, oh, well, Zuckerass is going to win the Calder because the NHL loves him, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> that's why they're sending him to the All-Star game too. And it just kind of was like – not like a – shot but it was like a hard one to swallow only because they're really just altering the rules for him mm-hmm. and they wouldn't do it for anyone else like I don't think you've seen it happen for like Jack Hughes I'm not a per- I'm personally not a fan of Jack Hughes but like I don't think they altered the rules to get him to go in his rookie year or whatever the situation was and he would have been marketable he would have been really yeah. marketable so I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a hypocritical thing for them to do, but I also am not a league official, so I should really not weigh in. <laughs> I, I understand why a lot of people are getting very tired with the Trevor Zegers discourse every single week because there's a feature on him on ESPN and seemingly every single week, and he's they're trying with him. And I've spent the better part of my hockey-consuming life where the most the two most famous people in the league, Ovechkin and Sid, just don't like doing media. They don't really like talking to the press. They don't like being engaging. That's just not their personalities. That's not how that generation of hockey player that's in their early 30s, late 20s is now. Whereas these guys, the Jack Hughes, Trevor Zegers, these are the TikTok generation kids. They want to do things that are fun, entertaining. They're in the league because it's their job and they want to have fun while they're doing it. And it's important that the NHL leans into that because Really soon, you're going to have a post-Sid and Ovechkin NHL where Connor McDavid doesn't have a personality. Leon Dreisaitl is not the most engaging, gregarious person. Austin Matthews is trying. Austin Matthews is trying. Austin Matthews is not trying. That's BS. Austin Matthews, mm, I can't start. I'm not. Oh, that's even worse. No, I'm not going to start on Austin Matthews. No, this is important. This is part of this discussion. I personally am not a big Austin Matthews fan. I think a lot of what he does is corny. Like, he's acting like what he thinks a cool person is. But he's trying to be interesting. And that is more than I can say about a lot of people in the NHL who are very content to wear their one suit and their one peacoat to every single game. He is trying, and that is something. 
That's all I'm saying. I want hockey. I want everybody to be able to enjoy hockey. And the casual people who see the Austin Matthews highlight, the Trevor Zegers highlight on Instagram, and then they go follow him on Instagram, that's progress. That's more than I can say we were doing for the last 10 years of Ovechkin, of Sid, of some of the more the older guys now who never really were into Duke being a forward-facing personality. So I definitely understand everybody's getting tired of this, the Trevor Zegers stuff, because we've never had this. The NHL doesn't beat people over the head with young people. It's always the team, the team, the team. And this is a change. This is new. So I understand why a lot of people are frustrated with the way Trevor Zegers got handled at All-Star Weekend. To bounce off of All-Star Weekend and Trevor Zegers, can I talk about the Breakaway Challenge? I have a really funny thought. Please! <laughs> Okay, so the breakaway challenge, I thought it was really funny this year. I personally thought Debrinkit should have won because I found his the funniest. But it was. I know they threw Keller into accuracy shooting. I knew he wasn't going to win after I saw who he was up against, but he beat like Dry's Idol, and I was okay with that. I was content. <laughs> but I think they should have let him do the breakaway challenge, and here's why. And I came up with this thought while watching him do accuracy shooting, and it has not left my mind since. So Everyone thinks that Keller looks like Ricky Fowler, the golfer. A little bit. Yeah, I see that. Oh, no. If you look it up and, like, look at them side by side, they look really similar. Oh, they do. They, I so, definitely see what you're talking about. Yeah. So I know that there, and a few Halloweens ago, him and Shikrin dressed up as Fowler in, like, a golf caddy. <laughs> and I was like, can Clayton whip that back out and, like, show up on the ice and, like, skates and, like, with a golf club and, like, shoot the puck with a golf club? Considering he was on like, he was, he was really, he is very big on golf. He talks about it all the time. So it's just like, I would die to see that happen. And then I was like, maybe Clayton should hire me as like his like specialist or whatever. Like <laughs> this should be it. This is you're how I'm going to get hired. You're using your noodle. That's more than I can say about most of these hockeys. Like the reason they got rid of the breakaway challenge for like five years was nobody took, nobody was doing anything funny anymore. And like, yes, now it's basically just a costume contest, but you get to see how creative these guys can be with that. Like the Jack Hughes magician stuff, that was good. The Trevor Zegers dodgeball, the Brinkett, the hangover. Like these are good ideas. These guys are thinking, they're trying. And that's better than what I can say for the NHL for a while. So I feel like we're headed in the right direction where this younger group of guys, they want to have fun while they're playing hockey, as opposed to what the a little bit older guys, the McDavid types who are just, I want to have fun in the privacy of my own home with my significant other, or the Sid and Ovechkin of, don't talk to me ever, I don't want to talk about myself. That's, that's progress, and that's all I want from the NHL. The NHL has already got passed by soccer in the United States in terms of viewership. They can't get passed by what's behind soccer now. They got to try. They got to try. That's right. that's my biggest gripe. That's why I understand the Zegers discourse. I agree with you, though, that Cider should probably be the favorite for the Calder at the moment, though. I will give you that. There's a lot happening within the league right now, but you're yes. the person asking questions, so I'm open to answering anything else. Okay. So in terms of so – let's circle back around to the Coyotes, and we'll wrap up talking big picture on the NHL. If you have, do you have a feeling one way or another about Chikrin if he's actually going to be traded or if this is just noise? Uh, obviously, you're not plugged in. You don't know. Do you have a gut feeling one way or another? Oh, Absolutely. man. I'm so glad you asked. Okay. I'm going to take this is not like podcast related, but I'm going to take this to the MLB really quick because I need okay. to talk about this. I'm a Phillies fan and I hate them. I hate them so much. <laughs> they suck. 
but when they were signing they're talking about signing JT Romito and like letting him enter free agency or whatever that like the whole situation was and I was like watch they're gonna use Romito as like bait it's just gonna be a complete bait show and they're gonna re-sign him that ends up happening now not the first time I've had like that kind of deal a lot of people have seen that happen as well but like I was just like watch I'm just gonna predict this and it's gonna happen so I told someone I was like I think Chikrin is 100% trade bait he should get he's to get positive media on the coyotes like the trading part not quite as positive as you want it but with the asu arena and the new tempe arena thing and i'll I'll talk about that too because i'm involved on that but it's just like you have so much negative attention coming at you we need to find a way to bring ourselves up without it being about our fans or our arena or relocation so Let's say, hey, Jacob, you're going to be traded, and then, like, you're not going to get traded. It's a lie. It's just trade bait, in my opinion. But if he goes, he goes. Like, does that, do you have a preference of if they keep him or if he goes? Or is it just kind of whatever? Mm -hmm. I'll figure it out as it happens. I'm, I have a preference, but then I get crapped on. So I'm like, yeah, but no, here's why. So I, again, big Keller truther. I've talked about it already. I get it. But I think that he'd be a better captain. Like, Chikorin would be a way better captain than Keller. And Keller has said it himself. Like, he's not, he's a natural born leader, but he's not a vocal leader. Like, he just doesn't, he's not, he's very humble. Like, he doesn't talk about himself. He's not really great at hyping up the team. <laughs> so, Chikorin would be a way better leader in that term of like getting the team ready for another period of hockey. Like, but, I would love to see Keller named captain. So yes, I do have a preference on him going for that reason. But <laughs> okay. if he were to stay and be named captain, I wouldn't be too pissed. I will say of all of the moves they've made over the last year and a half, two years, where they've got a boatload of draft picks now. They've got three first round picks this year and five second round picks this year. I mean, that is a dramatic amount. And then you're talking about chickering too. You probably get another one and prospects back too. At the very least, you're, they will have something to, you guys will have something to look forward to aside from just 82 games. I, it's a throwing shit at the wall approach, a kitchen sink approach, whatever terminology you want to use to describe it. But I understand the vision and that's part, that's the hardest part for a lot of, there are a lot of teams in the NHL that are very content to just lie to themselves and say, no, nah, we're actually not that close. We only need to make one, two more moves and we'll be fine. Like say the Flyers who came into <laughs> last year, who had a, who had a god-awful season last year and they went all right we need to make two or three moves and we'll be good again we'll be fine and everybody probably is going to end up getting fired i mean Vigneault already got fired chuck fletcher is keeping that seat warm for danny briere whenever they want to give it to him and that's the thing if at least if you're honest with yourself about the direction of your team you're not hurting yourself and the coyotes may have to figure out the arena and where they're playing and how they're going to sell tickets but as a concept, they at least have a sense of direction, which is something. Not every team in the league can say they have a sense of direction. That's true. I mean, the thing with the arena is, like, I really don't like talking about this, but I'm going to because I have to talk about myself. Um, okay. I don't know. I feel like I feel like the arena thing with the ASU thing and then, like, oh, we're going to build a new arena in Tempe, but it's not been approved yet, but the city council is, like, very in on it. 
I made, I don't know if you know about this. A lot of people do. We're going to have to, I'm, I really don't want to talk about it, but I will. Uh, I made a petition on change.org. It's great. Um, and I was like, why don't I just make a petition and send it to the city council of Tempe? And again, I'm from New Jersey. Like I have no, I don't know. I, I know a few people in Arizona. Like I have no connection to the city. I don't, or like the state, like I don't live there, but I made this petition, got the email through a friend. And I was like, yo, I wrote this like lengthy email. I was like, listen, the coyotes are being completely screwed over by Glendale. The city hates them for like no reason. Like I get the tax thing. I 100% get it, but like <laughs> blocking them out and like whatever the situation was like just completely terminating the contract and the deal and stuff was like so random and kind of uncalled for almost, but again, I kind of get it to the point where I was like, it's just so dumb. And if they were to build a new arena in Tempe, it's going to attract so many more fans because a lot of people just don't want to drive down to Glendale on a Tuesday. Like a lot of them don't live there. Most of them live in Scottsdale or like the Tempe Phoenix area. No one wants to drive down to Glendale. And I've heard this from many sources. This is why I'm saying this. No, because that's a real petition. And I was like, listen, like, you need to see this. You need to sign it. You need to say yes to this because it's going to help your city so much. And they saw it and it became a big thing. Um, a few family members of certain members on that team have decided that they like it and have signed it as well. I did an interview with Craig Morgan about it. It's a thing. Okay. Long, long, that was a bad week for me too. I was the most stressed out that week. I would think that was like, midterms week or something like that gotcha gotcha i mean i I, i've gone back and forth on the playing at arizona state thing because a it would just be it's a good idea like conceptually like if you can just fill that if you can fill that barn with five thousand college kids 41 home games a year that'd be great but that's a real problem a lot of these teams have where they're built where the arena is not located in a convenient area it's difficult to get to the panthers have this problem the senators have this problem the islanders when they played in brooklyn had this problem where people don't want to commute an hour and a half each way to go to their arena and it's understandable especially on a weeknight so that is a real logistical problem and getting a new arena is important because it does seem like the nhl wants to keep them in that greater arizona greater phoenix area and if they're going to do that they're going to need a new arena there's just no other way around it I really like the idea of the ASU arena and everyone's like, just move them already. Just move them already. I'm like, the city, the three cities you're naming though for movement make almost little to no sense. Quebec had a team, didn't work yeah. out. It failed. Why would you move them back there again? Hartford had a team. It failed. Why would you move them back there again? Houston, like, I don't really have a negative for that, but they also have like the Texans and they've, and then they've got the Dallas Stars playing in texas too so it's like do you really want another texas team i don't know i have a lot of thoughts but if they were to play at the asu arena the only issue that comes up with that is either the five thousand tickets thing or like the other thing which is like they can't use the locker rooms already built in yeah. or whatever so they have to make like prior make different locker rooms or different bathrooms or whatever the situation is which it's almost, I think they said it was only like 20 million. And I don't know if the Coyotes have the budget for that. But at the same time, it's like, if it's going to happen and it'll help you and it's only temporary, you may as well do it. 
No, that's kind of what I've come around to is if this is only going to be for like two years and they're actually going to get the arena thing figured out. Okay, then fine. We don't we can stop talking about relocation. If they're going to get a new arena, then we don't have to talk about it. But if they can't get a new arena, that's where the conjecture is. I mean, realistically, Houston could support a hockey team. I don't think Quebec makes sense, especially with the way Canada is right now. I mean, several of the Canadian. I mean, the Jets have the smallest arena in the league already. Ottawa doesn't draw anything. Vancouver has had a hard time drawing in the last year or two because they've been so bad. And after they lifted restrictions, it's still kind of complicated there. It's going to have to be in the States. I don't think Hartford makes sense anymore. That's not a growing market. And it has they the NHL has staked the flag in Arizona and Gary Bettman refuses to let them die. So we need to do what we can to maximize them while they're there. And this is not impossible. It would help a lot if the team was good, because then you can do the very gradual build like Carolina has, like Florida has, where over a number of years, if you're good a few years in a row, it's a lot easier to sell tickets if the team is decent. Like Florida is slowly getting there. They're still close to the bottom in attendance, but they're ticking up. Carolina is, I think, 14th or 13th now in average attendance, which is real progress for a non-traditional hockey market, which is all you can ask for if you're the Coyotes. Just start making progress. And that's kind of the problem is the Coyotes have been going from one crisis to another, and they haven't been able to make any progress. That's true. And then a lot of people are like, well, you guys are last in attendance in the league, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you guys don't. I don't think people realize how many people actually do end up going to Gila River Arena. Like, just because they're not Coyotes fans doesn't mean that they're not getting the attendance. And, like, the Buffalo Sabres, they're not getting attendance because that's a whole other story. But they're not getting yes. attendance. They traded Jack Eichel, and that was, like, their link. Like, that was it. And now they're not going to get a lot. I think their average is, like, 6,000 or something like that. Yeah. And then, like, I remember reading about it maybe a few months ago now. I think their uh, attendance went up though and is better than the Coyotes but like the Devils weren't getting a lot either which again I kind of get the idea for the Devils because again I'm from New Jersey so I know that like no one wants to drive out to Newark yeah again on a, like, a Tuesday night they're kind of in a weird area where it's good for them but it's also negative for them because of the city life and whatever yeah but the Coyotes aren't getting the right attendance in terms of their own fans but they're still gaining attendance from like tourists and other fans so it's still happening yeah no there's there's a reason they settled on that market 20 ish years ago when they gave that city when they moved the jets there there was a clear vision that's the most rapidly expanding area in the united states in terms of population the southwest that's where more people were being born it makes sense you put an expansion team in an expanding market that makes a lot of sense now they just got to get the hockey right. They have had decent attendance runs. I mean, I'm talking like 10 years ago now, but they have been decent. They have drawn okay. They've made the one um, conference final appearance. Like, was that 12 years ago now? The recipe to be a good small market team exists. You just have to nail your draft picks. Arizona has nailed a handful of them. They've. It's just making everything line up is the hard part. And it's part of why it's so hard to be a GM in hockey is you have to be able to outweigh your own personal interests versus the interests of the team. And I don't know if Bill Armstrong is a particularly good GM yet because he hasn't been on the job that long, but at least they are making progress from a hockey perspective. They get the arena sorted out and then you're starting to cook with grease of, okay, all the fires are put out. We can actually start to build back up again. That is 
that should be the goal now is all right if they're going to do arizona right. state for a year, a year or two okay where do you go from there that is what they need to figure out and then the hockey can take care of itself if they nail a draft pick or two it the potential for the coyotes to be decent is there I agree. I also want to talk about the draft pick thing really quick. They picked Josh Please. Stone, and Josh Stone's having like one of the best years for him right now, or whatever. Yeah. At, at ASU, and like I would love to see Josh Stone get called up in the next year and a half. Which I know everyone's gonna be like, "You should, that's rushing him. You're rushing him." But like, it'd be great to see him play. And I, yeah. obviously, the whole connection with Shane and his dad. But I don't know. I think that the Coyotes can pick right if they choose their cards right. So, like, yeah. there's certain picks that they've made in the last few years where I'm like, well, that was stupid. <laughs> we're not going to touch on which one I'm thinking about. Yes. But there's just, like, so many that come to mind that it's just, like, you have so many ideas in your head. And I think Bill Armstrong's really managing the Coyotes well. My only issue is, like, right now, the coaching's fine to me. There's, well, there's a lot of issues within that, too. But, like, the head coach, I don't know how to say his name. I'll never learn. He's French. I'm not French. So not going to try and butcher it. Just you get the idea. We had Tockett before him, and Tockett was, like, bad. I don't yeah. know. Everyone's like, oh, Tockett's such a good coach. Tockett's such a good coach. But if you look at Keller's numbers the first year with Tockett versus his last year with Tockett, like, why did he go from a 60-point season to a, like, 25 30 point season like it just doesn't it doesn't make sense and now that he's under the new coaching he kind of has that like step a lot of the players are in the same boat like Kraus is having a really good season if Schmaltz didn't get hurt he'd be having a better season for sure it took him a little yeah. while to get kicked up but he's back on the ice and is doing better Travis Boyd's having like his own little breakout season and it's weird because uh why is Travis Boyd playing on the first line yeah but, like, it, I don't know, it bumps them up a lot. And I think the new coach and, like, the new coaching staff is doing a lot for their star players. Not, like, Travis Boyd, obviously. But, like, the guys that have been around a little bit longer that have played with Tockett, like, I think Keller's 100% more confident. Obviously, I talk about him a lot. But he's got more confidence in his game. He's playing a more complete game. It just makes more sense that the coaching staff is helping him and he's helping them. No, definitely. And one of the things I, I remember, I wrote something about guys who needed to find the right mix of their confidence with their skills and Keller was one of them. And one of the things that Tockett really tried to get through to him on was being well-rounded defensively as well. And I know that's a thing that irks the shit out of me when I hear the coach of my favorite team say something, well, they need to play a 200 foot game. They need to play a 200 foot game. I understand that. But that's not what got them to the NHL. Clayton Keller did not get to the NHL because he can backcheck very well. He got to the league because he's got really good hands and he's a pretty fast skater. I understand trying to make guys well-rounded, but at some point, if you keep harping on something over and over again, you're going to mess with a guy's confidence over time, which is part of what happened. But also, you can see the confidence is there. Like you said, he is playing better. You can see it. Even on plays where he's not scoring or setting up a goal, it's just more confidence with the puck on his stick, knowing where it needs to go, being able to carry it through traffic. The little things you only see if you're watching them on a nightly basis. And it's something you said before when you were talking about how, why are we sending somebody to the All-Star game? He's the worst player on that team, whatever. If you were watching Clayton Keller every single night, you would know he was the best player on the Coyotes. That's what I think. 
I mean, there's a lot of holes in the Coyotes right now, especially, but like that's why it's so hard to Tockett, judge these guys. Right. With Tockett, he sent like Schmaltz. He was like Schmaltz on the fourth line. And I was like, why are you putting Nick Schmaltz on the fourth line when he literally was playing with Connor Garland and Clayton Keller the night before? That was my issue. And that's why I had so many flaws with Tockett being a coach was because, like, one night it's, oh, Schmaltz is on the fourth line, but now it's, like, Schmaltz is on the top line, but Keller's on the fourth line. And I think that really does mess with them. And Keller's a top six forward, and everyone's like, no, he's not. I'm not arguing that. He's, he's a top six forward on that team, and he always – probably will be until he turns 30 so (laughs) to the point point where it's like why is he playing on the fourth line when you know he's a top six forward you know he's got the hands maybe he's not playing complete defensively right now but you know he's gonna score and that whole short leash line thing that's a mouthful I forgot how much of a mouthful that was but like that was a thing Connor Garland Clayton Keller and Nick Schmaltz on one line together the short leash line still a mouthful was a lot that was like asking that they they put like 20 points up in a few games I forgot the number of games it was like 20 points in 12 games or something like that and they're having one of the best seasons and then like everything came crashing down once I think Schmaltz got hurt but it just became this big thing where they were having a good season and they kind of became like I don't know the full line, so excuse me here, but like that Bruins line, Bergeron, Marchand, and I think I wanted to pasta. say it was pasta, but I think it's someone else now. Yeah, no, they've been putting it, pasta, it was with pasta Taylor Hall, before. but yeah. I think it's coil now. Yeah, that sounds it's, right. Vaguely it's right. coil now, but it was pasta at the time. They called it like the perfection line or something like that. Yeah. Like that was the kind of the line the coyotes were building with those three. And it was nowhere close, of course. I mean, Bergeron, Marshawn, and Poster, three phenomenal players. Hate to admit it, I hate the Bruins, but, like, they are. Yeah. So, they were, they might not have been close in skill, but, like, they were still putting up, like, those points. Okay. Before I get you out of here, if you had to guess where the Coyotes end up playing two years from now, what would your answer be? probably still at ASU but with everything going on and building the Tempe arena and like whatever I don't know I think it depends on how long it takes to build that arena but if that arena gets done in a year or two years then I can still see them playing at ASU temporarily which I think that's another thing people miss I'm not trying to lengthen your podcast here but I think people miss that they're playing at ASU temporarily yeah like, it's not a full-time thing. It's just, like, temporary. It's just going to be for two to three years or whatever the case may be until they get that arena and they get the approval to play there and they get all that revenue back. It's just – it's not ideal. It's not everyone's ideal situation. Like, you're not going to go see the Bruins playing at freaking BU. It's just not going to happen. I mean, but it's, now that you say it's it. it's going to work. If it's going to work. Yeah. No, it – you got to be pragmatic. I mean, they're like I said, they're not moving them somewhere else, so this is the best they can do for now, so that will have to do. My other thing about speaking of BU, sorry, I'm like really being annoying. I talk so much about Clayton. This is the whole point. So since you're a Rangers fan, I have to ask, why did everyone hate David Quinn so much when he produced so many good players out of BU? Like, can I name a few just not that's not Clayton Keller? 
Oh no, McAvoy! I know, I know. McAvoy, he, Greenway, Bellows, like that was Grislick. insane. I know. Uh, like that was insane, and I think I think David Quinn's a great college coach. Yes. What was the issue with the Rangers? What was up with that? How much time do you have? I have <laughs> all the time in the world. I okay, so have all the time. In the world. Okay, so the Cliff Notes is I don't think. I don't think he was set up for success, so I won't entirely blame David Quinn for why he got fired so quickly, but a lot of the things he would say did not match up what he would do. He would say things along the lines of, I want to play the best players who are playing the best, and they're going to get more opportunities. But he would never move people who were playing bad down the lineup if they were one of his favorites. Brett Howden never played a single game in the AHL and is one of the 10 worst players in the league all three years he was in the league. Mark Stahl never got moved down the lineup, but when one of the younger defensemen, whether it be Brady Shea or Keandre Miller, whatever, made a mistake, down the lineup. Heedle, Kako, Lafreniere, you mess up, you're going to play down the lineup with Michael Haley. It just never, it really did seem like the front office was telling him you need to make the playoffs this year, especially last year, the uh, 56 game season. And he was managing the lineup in that way and they didn't make the playoffs and the young guys made no progress. So it kind of felt like they wasted the better part of the last two years because David Quinn was coaching to make the playoffs instead of helping those young guys get better. But yeah, he definitely can identify talent. I mean, like all those guys you said who went to BU, I mean, I watched a lot of Charlie McAvoy at BU because, you know, I'm a hockey nerd, but the guy can identify talent. I just don't know if that translates to the NHL. And it was weird because, um, who wrote the profile? Molly Walker wrote a profile for, about David Quinn in the post today because he's coaching the men's team in the Olympics, which is a crazy falling upwards thing where you got really? fired from an. I did yeah, not he's know the, that. yeah, he's the men's coach for the Olympic team. No, he is not. Get out. Yes, That's so funny that I mentioned him. I had no idea. Yeah, that I I totally kind of forgot about it too until I read that profile this morning in the paper. But yeah, no, I. It was very easy to rag on him because he. He wasn't very um, personable. He was always very callous and very snappy and not really forthcoming with information. So it was really easy to kind of like, all right, this guy's over his head. He doesn't really know what he's doing. And then the results dried up where they went on that really bad spell last year. Really easy to start complaining about, well, he acts rude every single time he's on camera and the team isn't playing well. So yeah, this guy has to go. That's the Cliff Notes, like, three-ish minute version of why I was very tired of David Quinn. A lot of, a lot of people were. I'm going to naturally assume it's probably the same for everyone else. Hey, they sold us. They're going to rebuild the team. Okay, then let the guys you drafted first and second overall play 13, 14, 15 minutes a game. Don't play them eight. If you draft someone first overall and play them eight minutes a night, you're not going to make any progress. You're not giving them enough ice time. That's That was the main thing I complained about. But David Quinn's not in my life on it anymore, thankfully. Uh, my hockey team isn't That's that fair. much better, but I will not complain. I will not complain. Very good point. Also, to wrap up like a little bit on the All-Star game, and there's something you have in the like lineup. I know. I pro you probably don't have a lot of time now. I kind of feel bad. I'm literally not doing anything today. I kind of cleared my schedule to make sure I had time to do this. This like, is the, the whole thing point of a podcast. Like, this is the whole point you, of a podcast. You're supposed to talk. Right. That's true. That's true. So there's two things I want to wrap up on. Okay. The Chikrin and Keller, that vision thing, you have it written down. So 
I think that Chikrin in the long run probably might not be. As much as I think he's being used as popular trade bait right now, if you go look at like the Puck Empire Instagram account, I hate that account <laughs> sometimes. Hockey like, that, and there's some days, it's literally some days where it's like, oh, Chikrin, 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 like, and then it's like Tapoli, and then it's like JT Miller. And, and then the next four days, there's nothing about Jacob at all. And then the day after that, it's like, the Florida Panthers are in on Jacob Chikrin. I'm just like, oh my God. Like, it's so inconsistent with the new yeah. one chick to the point where I'm like, it could be real. It could be fake just because of how spotty it is. And then I think Keller, if you've seen the way uh, Bill Armstrong talks about him and the coach talks about him, still can't say, but whatever. Like, they're all like, he's a, he's a leader. He knows he's a leader, but he doesn't, he doesn't have like the vocal He's just not a vocal leader. I said that before. And then uh, Andrew Ladd was talking about it. There was a game. Who did we play? I think it was Nashville. And starting to rough up Kells a little bit. And Andrew Ladd was not having it. And that was that night where he was like on the line with Keller because it was just like ridiculous. And they threw him out there. And like Kells was getting roughed up by like Yozy or something like that. It wasn't him. It was someone else. And it became such a big thing where like Lad fought the guy because they were bothering him. And he was he was basically was talking about how Keller's like a leader and he doesn't really realize it. And I feel like that's why I think he'll be named captain in the end over Chikrin. But at the same time, it's do the Coyotes want a captain that leads by example or do the Coyotes want a captain that can talk to the entire team and lead with them? No, that's a real thing. I mean, the Rangers had the same thing with Ryan McDonough, where everybody was like, all right, that's the guy, that's the captain. And then once they traded him to Tampa, it was, yeah, he was really good at leading by example, but he wasn't really a guy who would speak up and kind of hold other guys accountable. And that's just, there's different types of leadership. That's, you know, everybody is different. Not everybody's going to be able to lead in the same way. So it's part of it. You have to be able to design the locker room around that if that's going to be your captain. That's all. Of the Rangers, I told my dad this because again, Rangers fan. So I was like, "How ironic would it be that the Rangers had JT Miller, traded him, let Tampa trade him to Vancouver, let him get good in Vancouver, and then take him back? Like, how yeah. ironic would it be if that actually ends up happening?" Oh, it'd be a perfect testament to everything I've always thought about the organization's inability to develop young talent. Not only did he have to go to one other place, he had to go to two other places to figure it out how bad they messed him up. I mean, he made his NHL debut. He made. I have a JT Miller. I I have a Miller. I have Miller, Kako, Shea, and McDonough. I'm pretty sure. Uh oh. If I started naming them, we would be here till tomorrow. All the ones I have, but I'm trying to think off the top of my head. They had yeah. Miller made his NHL debut in 2012-2013. He did not become a 50-point guy till 2016-2017. He did not become a point-per-game guy till last year in Vancouver. Just It took that him forever to figure it out because, A, he does have a reputation for being immature and kind of a dipshit, but at the same time, I mean, the talent was there. They just needed to tap into it in the right way. Doesn't he have, isn't there like a video on YouTube and it's like JT Miller says the loudest fuck heard on the ice or something like that? Yes. yes. He's one of the people, he is one of the... Very- I missed the empty arena specifically for that from last year where just JT Miller yelling fuck every single time he would get a puck hit him in the shin. Yeah, that was a, that was the fun part about like empty to no arena. I mean, it still happens because again, I'm a Coyotes fan. <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap. So it's, it's not even empty in there, but it just looks like a ghost town. 
to the point where it's like you'll see like Labushkin go down. That's a, that's a man. Forgot yeah. he even existed. He was really good. Just kind of came out, but he's still on the team. So, but like you'll see like Labushkin hit like block a puck and he'll go down and you'll hear him yell. And then I'm in the next two minutes later he's like back on the ice like taking another shift and i'm just like didn't you just yell like didn't like wasn't that just you and then there's like the uh when they're starting to like call each other on the ice from like across the ice in one mic you'll, you'll hear like cows cows it's just as yeah. loud as possible great okay before i get you out of here i'm gonna teach you how to say that coach's name i looked up the phonetic spelling by you. <laughs> i'm never gonna be able to do it <laughs> tur in you tur in you that's not gonna. It's not happening. Okay, I I, I tried to be. And I couldn't even speak Italian. Like, oh, I I took four. I was really good at Italian in high school. That that was like I was really good at Italian. I'm, I'm fine in Italian. I just I can't speak it at all. So okay. nonetheless, I'm not gonna be able to speak French. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. There okay. was an attempt. There was an attempt. There was. Thank you for coming on. This was fun. I, you and I are definitely on the same wavelength of just hockey's so fucking stupid, but at least there are cool people in and around hockey. So I definitely, exactly. I appreciate the energy. Of course. I'm always down to talk about the Coyotes because I do it enough alone. So that's the whole point. Go start a Coyotes podcast, even if it's just I'm for your sure. own mental health, even if it's just for you to talk into the void. Go buy yourself a decent microphone from Amazon for like twenty bucks and just yell into the void. It's really good for your. Psyche. I don't even know if I have to yell. I think I think me being like strictly Italian says enough, right? Like <laughs> that might be it. Yeah, yeah. All right, my dude. Thank you for coming by. I want to thank Cameron for coming on the show. I will see you guys tomorrow. We will be talking about the Flyers, and then Friday we'll be talking about the Super Bowl. It's a good week to be a sports fan. I'll see you guys then.